0: DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, presents Roots of the Faith, From the Church Fathers to You, with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is the author or editor of more than 40 books on Catholic history, doctrine, and devotion. Among his many books are The Mass of the Early Christians, The Fathers of the Church, The Mass, The Glory, The Mystery, and The Tradition, co authored with Cardinal Donald World, and The Roots of the Faith. The Church Fathers to You, on which this series is based. He has co-hosted with Dr. Scott Hahn eight series that air on the Eternal Word television network. He has co-led pilgrimages to the Holy Land, Italy, Greece, and Turkey. He's a widely sought-after Catholic speaker. Roots of the Faith, from The Church Fathers to You, with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike.
1: It's great to be back, Chris. This
0: is fun. (laughs) It is, especially when we're going to talk about the history of mercy. Yes. I need a lot of it. Oh, don't we all? Don't we all? It is a true root of the faith when we talk about confession. But as you point out, in the roots of faith, that confession is not described in the early church like we hoped it would be. Well, It is and it isn't. We want it to be like it might be in a
1: prayer book, okay, where it says, you say this and the priest says that, and you say this and the priest says that, Mm -hmm. And, and really we don't have any prayer books like that from the early church. What we do is we read the writings of the fathers of the church, and they assume these things, these realities in the life of the church. And what we find in this particular instance, in the history of mercy, is that The church really had to come to terms with its understanding of confession and penance and absolution. The church needed to figure out just how far did Jesus intend us to go. We read the New Testament, and we see that that our Lord gave that power of absolution and forgiveness to his apostles. After his uh, resurrection, he appeared to them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, gave them the Spirit, mm-hmm. and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And then we, we by the time we get to the epistle of St. James, we see that confession was a regular part of life.
2: Mm-hmm. It was
1: just a regular part of the church's life. James is very careful to tell people they should, should confess their sins, especially if they're sick. Or in danger of death. Mm-hmm. Good advice, even today. I think so. But confession was was much more than that. It was part part of um of Christian life then, and it is now. The big struggle in the early church, Chris, was just how far do we go with this?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, do we keep forgiving people even though they keep on sinning? Right. And the fathers of the church were sometimes divided on this question, and some of them said, uh, "Well, the church is a hotel for saints." And there's not a lot of room for sinners, mm-hmm. so maybe we'll give you we'll give you forgiveness once after you've been baptized, but not again. And we find that in the Shepherd of Hermas, which is a very early document of the church, and in the writings of Tertullian, who was a rigorist from North Africa, mm-hmm. writing at the end of the second century. Well, what we find in those authors is a, a very demanding, disciplined Christian life. They Set the bar very high, and they wanted the church to be as pure as possible. They were scandalized by sometimes the sin they saw very close to the church. They were scandalized when sinners seemed to be getting off too easy.
0: Sounds like today.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this is something that that's a perennial problem in the church. You know, and uh, and and again. On the one hand, you had people who said that the church is a hotel for saints, and we should be keeping it clean, keeping it pure, and, uh, and so on. On the other hand, you, you had people saying, no, it's a hospital for sinners. And in that hospital, mercy is administered as the medicine, the medicine of immortality, right? This me- mercy has to be dispensed as much as is needed. So this was a real struggle in those early years of the church. You have different people taking it in different directions. And when we get to the 2nd century and the 3rd century, we find that the popes are recognizing the gravity of the problem as Christianity grows mm-hmm. and it's it's reaching out to more people and 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 there are people who are struggling in very difficult straits, difficult mm-hmm. difficult circumstances. The popes started to see that that confession had to be practiced as something that that was life-giving and something that was given freely by Jesus Christ to the church. So we we see this playing out over the course of the centuries. By the time we get to the the late third century, the early fourth century, we find that the, the saints are advising their congregations to go often to the spiritual father and to confess their sins so that they can receive healing, that they can s- receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. They can receive that medicine, the metaphor they kept coming back to, the metaphor of a doctor applying medicine, and they can can grow strong once again. So. Again, we don't see it the way we'd like it in terms of uh, the prayer book working out of the sacrament of confession, but we do see confession always there in the life of the early church.
0: That leniency versus severity Mm -hmm. is something that, again, we find in the writings of the fathers passed down to us.
1: It is. And it became a crisis situation during times of persecution, for example, because, okay, You're a Christian, you get arrested, and they turn you over to the torturers. And maybe you hold fast to the faith under the tortures for a day. And in the second day, they've tortured you till you're so crazy you give in. Well, did you commit a sin? Were you in possession of your faculties? You know, these are hard questions. But they were known as apostates, the people who renounced the faith and won their freedom. And they walked away. They were considered apostate Christians, and some people in the church were reluctant to readmit them to communion. They could attend the liturgy, maybe, if they wanted to be penitent, Mm -hmm. but they couldn't go up to communion until the very end of their lives. Wow. So that was a long life of penance to live for something that that you did under duress. Well, we have these figures like like St. Cyprian of Carthage, who really was at the epicenter of the controversy because the persecution was so fierce and ferocious during the time he served as bishop in Carthage. And because so many people were committing apostasy, there's this one place where he he describes the sad scene of so many people turning away from the faith. Well, what do you do with all these people? Do you just tell them, go to hell? Mm -hmm. Because that's literally what that act of excommunication would seem to mean to them. That's right. You know? Well, he didn't want to do that, and he knew that the sacraments themselves could strengthen them in case they had to face that decision again, mm-hmm. in case they had to face the tortures again. Which is a very real possibility. And it was, it was a reality in certain lives, because there were people who were strengthened and then went back and did persevere um, in the face of martyrdom on a second chance. We have instances of that in the early church. But St. Cyprian didn't want to be so severe with these people. On the other hand, he didn't want to act like apostasy was nothing, that you could just renounce the faith, you know, check into a confessional, and, and make everything okay, um, right. and, and then go back to communion, because he didn't want to cause public scandal. He didn't want to seem to be encouraging sin. So he had to find that way between severity, on the one hand, and laxity, on the other hand. So... What did he do? He established the sacrament. Well, he didn't establish it, obviously. He had received it from Jesus, but he really did establish the the sacrament of penance as that bedrock of repentance, of forgiveness, and of absolution. But what was required was public penance in some cases mm-hmm. if you did a public act of apostasy you should make it up with a public act of penance so that the whole church could see your sorrow and you were you would you would be able to stand up before them as a sign for them to follow and as a deterrent if they you know if they faced the same temptation you wanted them to make the right choice if they were faced with the same decision so saint cyprian Might seem severe by today's standards and the the penances he meted out, but I think he was trying to find the right road um, out of this problem. He didn't want to be a rigorist on the one hand, on the other hand, he didn't want to be overly lenient and lead people astray and lead them into laxity of life.
0: It also seems, Mike, that there is an acknowledgement by the fathers of the church that, yes, We are responsible for our actions, and we have to own that in a very real way. But they also acknowledge the presence of evil and the temptations of the devil, and that we have to give our brothers and sisters in faith the opportunity to be able to receive that healing from the damage inflicted by that interaction.
1: That's right. And they weren't afraid to call a sin a sin. You know, the, the great example that I give in Roots of the Faith is the example of St. Ambrose of Milan, who, living in a time when the emperor was Christian, but he still was something of a hothead, mm-hmm. Theodosius. He had a temper. And during one of his tantrums, he ordered a massacre uh, in a town where there had been an act of rebellion. A wow. massacre. Uh, thousands of people killed. They were just gathered up the entire populace of the town was gathered up into uh the local amphitheater Mm -hmm. they didn't know why but once they were there the the soldiers just just descended on them and slaughtered them Mm. well ambrose confronted theodosius with this and uh, you know according to some accounts he prevented him physically prevented him barred the door of the church if he didn't do it physically he certainly did it morally he wrote him a letter and he said you may not be admitted to public communion in the church until you have done public penance. Mm. And he's saying this to the emperor, who's known Mm. to be temperamental. So Mm -hmm. it took some guts for Ambrose to do that.
0: He just wiped out a whole town. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Just massacred a whole town.
1: So he had to do public penance before he could be publicly readmitted to communion. Um, So we see that there in the time of the fathers, uh, the Christian bishops saw that they had Um, a fatherly office. They had to observe in their relation uh, with politicians, with people who had power, and they had to call them to account so that, that these politicians did what was right. And if they ever strayed from that, they had to repent and do so publicly so that they did not cause scandal before they could present themselves for Holy Communion once again. So uh, we see this kind of courage. And Ambrose of Milan didn't do it with just one emperor. He faced down three emperors that way and one emperor's mother, <laughs> which may have taken more uh, courage. Yeah,
0: I would dare say that. That probably did. <laughs> we'll return to Roots of the Faith with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today.
2: The Creed Amen. The St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is a nonprofit research and educational institute that promotes life-transforming scripture study in the Catholic tradition, founded by Dr. Scott Hahn and with current Vice President Mike Aquilina. The Center serves clergy and laity, students and scholars with research and study tools, from books and publications to multimedia and online programming. The St. Paul Center welcomes you to their free online studies. Whether you're studying scripture for the first time, looking to take your studies to a higher level, or whether you're ready for advanced training, you've come to the right place. In addition, for each track of study, they recommend books that will enhance your study in prayer and build your library of essential works in biblical theology and spirituality. The studies are free. Just visit SalvationHistory.com to view a complete library.
0: We now return to The Roots of the Faith with Mike Aquilina. So was there public and private, or was all confession at the time of the Fathers a public actions to remedy scandal?
1: You know, there are different schools of thought on that because we don't know um, the answer for sure. It seems from, sometimes when the Fathers talk about confession, they seem to be talking about a public act Mm -hmm. where you stood up before the community and confessed your sins aloud that would be kind of difficult to do also when we have sins like rape for example to confess that publicly would necessarily bring shame upon another person and so the, we can see why the church would would gradually move away from such practices by the end of the time of the fathers I think that most confession was carried on privately though sometimes penance had to be carried out publicly Because if the sin was public and it affected the public order and caused scandal, as as in the case of a Christian emperor like Theodosius, who's looked up to by the populace, then you had to do public penance before you could be readmitted to a public act like Holy
0: Communion. We've potentially lost the sense, haven't we, Mike, of the importance of atoning in public when our actions... To the negative, have been uh, occurred to public knowledge.
1: Oh yeah. Oh oh yes. And sometimes it's shameless. You find politicians who have been um, forbidden to receive communion by their by their bishops mm-hmm. presenting themselves anyway. And I can remember a very public case when the Pope was visiting New York City, and uh, a politician went up for communion after the Cardinal Archbishop of New York had told him privately not to. Well, you know, he went up anyway. And at that point, what had been simply a private matter between a priest, the Cardinal Archbishop, Mm -hmm. and his penitent, this politician, well, the Cardinal was forced to make that public in order to avoid the scandal. Mm. Because everyone noticed that here was this man who was who was living a life that was inappropriate, was presenting himself anyway. So the cardinal had to call him to account for it and had to do so publicly. He didn't want to shame the man, Mm -hmm. but he had to do so for the sake of the flock.
0: That's a a very important element to all of this, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, because uh, that action, for example, of Christ and the woman who was found in adultery and that was brought to him, that acknowledgment that she did sin however that forgiveness and that others were not drawn into that even more sin by their public display i right. mean the infection that sin can have
1: right our lord said go and sin no more and that's what we're required to do uh, to go and and don't commit that sin again If we do commit it again, then we shouldn't be presenting ourselves for Holy Communion. The last time we got together, Chris, we talked about that great passage from St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, where St. Paul is is saying this, that that people aren't treating the, the Holy Communion with reverence because they're presenting themselves in an unworthy manner. Well, I don't think he was talking about the condition of their clothing. I don't think he was talking about their poverty. I think he was talking about the condition of their souls because they had mortal sins and they were presenting themselves for holy communion anyway, and and he was he was warning them. Listen. Some of you are getting sick and some of you are dying, as a result of this. That it's 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 become like a cancer in you, and it's and it's really acting that way even upon your bodies, mm-hmm. um, because that's what sin does. Sin doesn't only destroy our soul but it destroys our bodies as well over time um for, because of the physical effects of of the disorder sometimes but also because of the strain it puts on our conscience
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know it's there there are these these psychosomatic effects um the 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 thing if the thing that's best for us in terms of our health is to be at peace with god who made us he created our nature for himself, and, um, and he wants us to be at peace with him. And uh, until our conscience is right, we won't be at peace. And without confession, it's really hard to make our conscience right with God. He made it easy for us. Just as we said before, you know, we were talking about the end of the St. John's Gospel. He breathed on the disciples, and that, that, that quickly, that simply, that easily gave them the gift a divine gift, something that that belongs only to God, to be able to forgive sins and to pronounce words of absolution. So when the priest did that in the time of the fathers, he did so in the person of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the words of Jesus Christ. He gave health and peace to his people. When we go to confession today, it's no different. It's the same sacrament that was bestowed by Jesus and observed by the fathers and enjoyed by those generations of Christians in the 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, again and again, and even down to today. It's a great, great gift of peace that Jesus has given us. And goodness, if, we, if we're not taking advantage of it often, there's something wrong with us. We're crazy because here it is. It's free. It's available. Father's waiting in the confessional on Saturday. Why shouldn't we be filling that confessional? Why should we keep him waiting?
0: Well, there are those who will respond to you and say, because of the sacrifice of the cross, I now can go directly to Jesus for that forgiveness. I don't need that person to tell me I'm forgiven.
1: But Jesus knew us. You know, God made us. And the God-man knew what we were made of. And that's why he established the sacrament after the sacrifice of the cross. After he spilled his atoning blood, he still established this sacrament when he breathed on the apostles and he gave them this gift because he knew we needed it. He knew that we needed this sacrament as an application of the blood of the cross. The sacraments are not just symbols, they are real applications of the blood of the cross. When we go to Mass, we receive our Lord's body, blood, soul, and divinity. Well, when we go to confession, we are really washed in his atoning blood. Mm. This is a beautiful thing that happens. It's not just symbolic. It's not just psychological. There are symbolic and, and psychological dimensions to it, but that's not all. It's real. It's real. It's substantial and we can we can know it
0: that forgiveness of sin is so essential that in many if not all the majority of miracles that our lord performed first the precursor was always the forgiveness of sins
1: yes and 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 the miracle itself is just a sign We find in St. John's Gospel, that beautiful word, Mm. a sign, because all those people who were beneficiaries of the miracles, all those people who were healed, they died anyway. Mm. They lived out the natural course of a human life, and then they died anyway. So it's not like the healing was something that was permanent. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What was the thing that was lasting? The forgiveness of sins. The healing itself was just a sign of that. You know, our Lord knows our weakness, and he knows that, um, that we, we like to see things. We want that kind of evidence, so he gave the physical healing as well. But the more important thing is the spiritual healing that takes place with the forgiveness of sins in the sacrament of confession that was established by Jesus Christ.
0: Mm, beautiful. And the fathers would reinforce that over and over again in the writings.
1: They did. And, uh, and we find it in the writings of the fathers going all the way back. St. Athanasius talked about it very eloquently, again, with this medicinal image that the, the priest is the doctor who's applying the medicine. And, and, and in a completely different culture, using a completely different language, you know, Athanasius is in Egypt, writing in Greek, and we have someone like Afrahat, who's in Iraq. He's writing in Syriac, different culture, different empire. And and yet he's writing the same truths for for his congregation when he wrote the church's earliest treatise on confession as one of his demonstrations that he's left us. And I quote from that extensively in my book, Roots of the Faith. These are beautiful, beautiful um, testimonies from the fathers. They're beautiful treasures that they stored up for the family, heirlooms that have been passed on from generation to generation, and always timely witnesses to the tradition that we've received from the apostles and the apostles received from Jesus Christ.
0: Truly the history of mercy.
1: It is. It is. And we're still living it today.
0: And it can be found in just to the beginning of that portal to help you to discover this great this great history book that we have of mercy in the roots of faith from the church fathers to you by mike aquilina you've been listening to the roots of the faith from the church fathers to you with mike aquilina to hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs visit discerninghearts.com This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Roots of the Faith. From the Church Fathers to You, with Mike Aquilina.